So welcome to Open Source Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. So Adam, are you heading over to Ezra Avenue today? <laughs> or? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, about, if, uh, if I'm Chancellor's syno- Way. If no. I'm synonymous with anything, it is <laughs> getting blackout drunk on St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> I think we're more Pi Day people, but that didn't, <laughs> that didn't happen either, to be honest, right? But Pi Day Pi Day was not a success. This next year. year we're having Pi Day, that's it. I've, de- I've declared it. That has to happen. All right. <laughs> All right. Moving right along. Open Sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m., as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be Ward 3 Councillor Phil Alt, who will talk to us about being back inside the council chamber, the rising cost of capital projects, and the controversy around the whole council remuneration raise daily. So that's going to be interesting. That is at the bottom half of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about a few news items from the past week, including the conservative leadership race. Patrick Brown is in, but it's still Pierre Polivares to lose. So why does it seem like he's sweating? But first, we have to go back to the Ukraine. Well, I guess we just say Ukraine now. Um, yeah, so it's another uh, rough week in Ukraine. Uh, the incident, the big incident today was there was a movie theater in Mariupol, which is this coastal community that has been getting absolutely hammered the last two weeks now. Uh, there was a theater there uh, where literally hundreds of people were taking shelter and it was just basically pulverized. Uh, so the bombardment is not letting up. Uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, told our parliament on Thursday that 97 children had been killed since the start of the conflict. Uh, I'm not sure if that's gone up. It's more than likely gone up. But mm. it is uh, continues to be a dangerous situation. Uh, as I said, uh, Zelensky did talk to parliament uh, where he received several standing ovations, uh, but repeated his call for a no-fly zone and for uh, more help from the West in order to beat the Russians back. Uh, made a pretty powerful argument using some local examples, shall we say, of what it's like to be um, threatened by Russia and uh, having Russian tanks and weapons march across the face of your country uh so it's uh anyway i <laughs> i'm not sure what else to say just another not great week if for those no. of us for those of us who like the idea of uh peace more than more yeah and that's uh Zelensky's heavy skill for sure is to be is being able to present that and he did the same to the the u.s mm-hmm. on wednesday mm-hmm. very similar although it seems that the uh the one to the u.s had a bit of a montage a uh, grim montage i suppose hmm. i think i think he's a communicator in the sense that they kind of he's speaking to the countries in language they understand and of course and he actually spoke some english to uh to uh, american um i was gonna say parliamentarians american congress. Poli- yeah congress american <laughs> politicians looked like they're yeah. in some it looked like they're in an actual movie theater which was odd but anyway yeah, that's yeah, i guess yeah. he wasn't 
There's probably different rules there than there are in Canada. Yeah, and, and in the wake of that, uh, Biden, I'm not sure if it was off the cuff or whatever, called Putin a war criminal. And Putin has, I mean, he's already losing it, but he seems <laughs> to lose it even more. Um, you know, that we won't tolerate that kind of talk. The usual stuff that's coming out of there. But mm -hmm. also coming out of that is uh, another $800 million from the U.S. answering the call from Zelensky uh, and sending javelins and stingers and all of those things that are currently keeping the russian troops at bay uh in ukraine that seems to be happening and i've heard i've never heard any of this chatter adam because just before airtime mm -hmm. several reports all from reliable sources about peace talks and you know maybe there's a window opening for this uh whereas at the beginning of the week it was like the talks had failed and uh I guess the U.S. and China had talks as well. It's like, okay, now don't you get involved, China. Yeah. There's going to be a problem. And even just in the wake of that, the Chinese market, uh, the mar one of the markets in China tanked to like a 2008 level. Mm -hmm. So even just, dis even just discussions, China not having that we know of done anything yet to get involved, staying neutral. And actually part of the talk that's come out of these, I was going to say talks about three times, the talk that has come out <laughs> from the talks about the peace talks is something to do with if Ukraine declares that it will be a neutral state rather than aligning directly with NATO, then there may be some movement. I don't know if this is just conjecture or some media has latched onto something that came out of this, but it's all very kind of like, well, you know, this I've I heard signs of hope about 10 times before we hit the air. So I, I mean, there doesn't seem to, with all the other reporting, there doesn't seem to be any signs of hope right now. That's it's just status quo. And we're now in, I guess it's weak four of this so mm -hmm. theaters getting bombed and food lines getting bombed and hospitals getting bombed but i mean that's that's pretty much war criminal level stuff so i wouldn't i thought i'd never say this but i agree with biden on that one <laughs> well i mean there were reports on tuesday night saying that you know vladimir putin had literally taken the gloves off his men to like go hey go commit crimes um you know as if war itself isn't a crime but that's kind of philosophical yeah. um you know, the whole thing about the talk, like uh, Zelensky, I think it was during the, the talk with the U.S. Um, politicians basically said, like, there's obviously there's no chance of joining NATO now. I mean, it would just look uh, I mean, in the, in the, the unlikely event that Russia pulls back, it almost looks like you're kind of rubbing your face in their defeat. And that's just kind of like, you know, dirty pool to. <laughs> to be kind of like a sore winner like that so he has more or less said like yeah ukraine's not going to be joining nato anytime soon which does check off one of the boxes of putin's list of demands but has been pointed out many times many ways putin doesn't care that uh i mean would he have would he have not invaded if ukraine was part of nato i don't know probably probably not though uh what he really doesn't like is that Ukraine is um, has been moving away from Russia style, uh, shall we say, control, embracing more Western ideals, more democratic ideals, which is kind of the, you know, matters more to Putin. You know, this democracy thing catches on when people, you know, embrace it and do it right. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what's more scratchy Putin's itch. And I, it is interesting to hear that, hey, maybe there's progress in this. Um, 
because it's been said many times, many ways, you know, what there's, you know, what's the, what's the end game here? Does Putin withdraw Russian forces from Ukraine that weakens him geopolitically? Does he keep it up? with the growing dissent in Russia itself, mm-hmm. where you have a lot of, you know, there are a lot of attention has been paid to the reporter uh, Marina Ozinov, Ozinikova. Sorry, I didn't, sorry, I butchered yeah, The name. names are challenging. Yeah, <laughs> Even though I did. Rehearse, they will give you that as well. I'm I, re- certain. Yeah. I rehearsed it before. Yeah. Um, you know, she was held up to no war sign and uh, was disappeared for several hours, uh, it turns out they were interrogating her for 14 hours. I'm not really sure. Um, how, I'm, I'm really not sure why they interrogated her for 14 hours because <laughs> I don't know what they were trying to get to the bottom of. It was pretty clear, but uh, it was probably more intimidation than anything else. But there was also mm-hmm. this other video uh, of this camera crew filming people getting arrested in, I think it was Red Square. Um, and it's kind of remarkable that they were just kind of like these these two camera crews were just kind of standing there filming it happening and there was the woman who held up the blank piece of paper she's taken it to custody swiftly yeah. then there's another woman who goes you know what maybe this you know maybe going into ukraine's not a bad idea and then she was dragged away just yeah <laughs> it's, you know, just taking just, everybody away just the act of talking to a camera yeah. is um whether you're for the invasion or not is uh you'd be like hold on i'm putin's daughter it's like you're gone you're gone too we don't care just we're gonna take you away yeah and it you know it sort of reminds me of uh you know the g20 in toronto in 2010 just well well, if if you're in the area you're clearly up to no good it's like you're holding up a blank piece of paper that's a statement that's a pablin but it it um yeah it, it 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 makes you think, though, you know, how long can he keep it up when uh, dissent is this obvious? And, and uh, you know, tackling the dissent is just so blatant, um, blatantly corrupt that the woman with the blank, even the woman with the blank piece of paper gets picked up. So, yeah, I think the way it will end and hopefully soon, mm. it will have to end in a way that Putin doesn't look bad, whatever that whatever that means and whatever that takes, I'm not, I don't know what level that will go to, but yeah, there needs to be a, uh, a retreat that doesn't seem like a defeat. And I don't know how they're going to engineer that because everything about this is bad. And it was interesting what you're saying about the, you know, Putin East and everybody else, the way it is. And there is a bit of an East West battle going on, going further East with China sort of looming in the background as well. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, thinking about the the sanctions that have been happening, the effect that that has had hasn't just been to sort of uh, neuter the oligarchs. Let's say S- something that's come out in all this is how how much the oligarchs have in the West. Whether it's uh, I was going to call him Abramowitz, um, <laughs> Abramov, and the um, the steel patch, the pipeline mm-hmm. manufacturing company. His name escapes me right now. Like there's there's an example of somebody. Uh, who has a stake in a, in a Canadian a business, in, not a Canadian business, but a business in Canada. And of course it's energy related. Mm-hmm. And somebody, I can't remember who was made the comment about uh, going back to that one where Putin made everybody stand up and like, yes, we should go in. Yes, we should do this. They called those people Putin's dancing bears. Mm. And all of Putin's dancing bears have sons, daughters, family, everything in the West 
mm-hmm. you know, properties everywhere, and specifically in London, which we saw with the anarchists taking over that mansion, saying, you know, this belongs to whoever. We're gonna, we don't, we're just gonna, um, yeah, we're just gonna take this over, and we're gonna, we're gonna fill it with Ukrainian and other refugees. Uh, and they got, they, I, I don't think I've ever seen. Uh, well, I mean, I've seen anarchists get pressed before, but weirdly, <laughs> it was like the second story in the news of like, is this really happening? And then they send like 200 police to arrest them, you know, yeah. do it, do it Red Square style and just take it away. It took way more police in London than it did on the, uh, in, uh, I almost said the Soviet Union <laughs> in Moscow, in the Freud. Soviet Union-esque place. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, there, there, there's all this crossover that has surfaced. And I, I, I think there's going to be a lot of people, particularly, I'm going to say in the UK specifically, but in other places too, that are going to like the dirt is going to come out on mm. how tight there was a, a photo montage went around of, of Boris Johnson mm-hmm. with like a half dozen of the oligarchs at different times. Right. Mm-hmm. There's links there. Like there's links there that they cannot escape, you know, along the lines of, uh, you know, it's a different level of course, but like, um, Prince Andrew and his dealings, right? That all mm. comes out as like, oh my God, this this is obviously a different story, but it, it's, you know, these innocuous things like, well, no, it's just a picture of the oligarchs. It's like, no, I think they're, I think if they shake that tree enough, mm-hmm. that this the the east west divide is a divide, but at the same time, there is a hell of a lot of overlap going on, right? So, oh, of course, and I mean that's something that's, I mean that, that that's kind of like the next level to this is just going beyond like the the day to day of what's going on in the Ukraine and that bloodshed. But, you know, the, the, I guess the quote unquote puppet masters of all this, I'm sure you, any world leader, there's a picture of them standing next to some oligarch who uh, has, you know, the monopoly on some business and is like deeply indebted to Putin and owns like massive yachts and, Oh, the yachts. Oh, my God. <laughs> the whole shebang. But I mean, please that- fill the yachts of refugees immediately. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, we, I mean, we can all hope that that isn't the case. But I mean, the, the way things are going, you never know. But like I said, if it's, if, if it's anything, that embar- it's all about honor with him, right? Honor. Yeah. And yeah. I'm the, I'm the strong man. Yeah. So there has to be, I mean, it used to be they would send dictators to, to Moscow to like, you know, just live out their days or whatever. Or the Pope goes and lives in the back of the of the Vatican, right? So I mean, yeah. I don't know, uh, I don't know what they're going to do with Putin. Suppose he's got that big uh, mansion, but yeah, like unless <clears throat> I suppose that the the sanctions of people will it, will have some effect, but unless they can get at the Panama paper and Pandora paper money, which is you know can't be touched, right? The way those mm-hmm. things are structured, it's like you can't get at that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's like you've got, you know, the, the the bug out bag ready to go with, you know, billions and whatever. Um, so it's not it's not a complete loss, but the squeeze is on. I mean, they're, you know, their economy is getting squeezed, but, uh, and uh, <clears throat> I was glad to see that we weren't on that. Well, it doesn't matter because we wouldn't go there anyway. The, the Russian hit list, I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to know somebody who can translate Russian for me. And I was looking at it, I was like, okay, it says, uh, Lloyd Longfell, what does that say beside it? It just says, oh, member of parliament for Guelph. I'm like, so <laughs> I saw Guelph in Russia and I'm like, oh, really? That's it. so, but yeah, the list was pretty much, I think they went to the, uh, the Ottawa website, copy pasted, <laughs> translated everything, maybe even in Google translate and said, okay, all you people, you can't come. Now, some of them were already on it, like uh, Christian Freeland and, and Justin Trudeau. Yeah. Or Justin, as uh, Zelensky just calls him, like their best pals, which was interesting to me the other day. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, so they, there, there wasn't much 
I was like, oh, well, there's a list of names, out, but uh, yeah, somebody no media to, or anything. So we weren't on it, right? It's, yeah. Somebody went to open parliament and hit control C. Um, yeah. <laughs> speaking of H, yeah. Speaking of open parliament, uh, we have new entrants, or at least one new entrant into the conservative leadership race. Patrick Brown announced last Sunday in a presser, a very lavish presser. With uh, no masks. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, uh, that he was hopping into the race. Um, so he's joining Leslie Lewis, uh, Roman Barber, uh, Pierre Polyver, and Jean Charest. So, I mean, this is already uh, one person bigger than the last leadership race. <laughs> so, I mean, this is, this is exciting stuff, right? <laughs> one person bigger. But I don't know if it's one bigger person, I guess. Oh. <laughs> Charest is probably, Charest might be the bigger person, but he, he's, he is the, the season one and probably the one to watch in this. Although, yeah, because it mm. out of the gate, it was, and we talked a bit about this, how it was Polyev's, like he's, he's right there. Um, mm. And then Share. And then I don't, did you see the picture of Patrick Brown in his bedroom as a young man? And yes, got that bad 90s hair and a poster of Share on the wall. And I'm like, yes. Where do you get a poster of Jean Share? Yeah, in so, Barry. In Barry. In Barry. You'd have to get it mailed <laughs> to you. And there was no uh, Amazon then. But <laughs> so, of course, already Polyev is screaming uh, conspiracy because, you know, it's Share and, and Brown. He, I think he considers one the same. I saw a really good comment by I, the only time I read the, the National Post is when we talk about conservative issues. And uh, I was reading an article by Kelly McParland who said this is going to be nasty. Mm-hmm. And I think Polyev will be the prime mover on the nasty. Right. It won't be as much the... Uh, well, let's let's call them the fringe. Although Leslie Lewis did really well last mm-hmm. time. If it wasn't for the point system, K- Kingmaker. Yeah. Well, the, this point system business that they have, which I assume they're going to run with again. Like yeah. at one point, Leslie Lewis had—I don't know if it was in the first vote—she had the most votes. Mm-hmm. She had the most raw votes. And if it was just that kind of system, Leslie Lewis would have been at some point leader of the Conservatives after that in 2020. So. Uh, and I made a point of looking, which would have been actually, fascinating, given oh <laughs> the, yeah, the, yeah. The, her, her own personal politics and you know internal. Well, see, I, that, yeah, she's the only doctor in the race, like doctorate, not a doctor. So she's not a medical doctor, but she's a lawyer, right? So she's the only PhD in the game. Very intelligent woman, but I think, uh, and this is the challenge in Canadian politics is that you cannot social conservatives and Harper may be the exception. Mm. But Harper didn't play it up too much. Mm-hmm. Cannot be the Prime Minister of Canada, and I'm not saying I'm not saying that that's coming from me. It's just that it won't happen. Mm-hmm. Same with Robin ba- Roman Baber leans that way, and I did I looked him up as well. I think it was on the I don't know Pake in the agenda or something just to see what he was talking about. Maybe it was Solomon. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, he's he's but, got no paper trail though, which is weird. He kind of like came out of nowhere and was MPP, and then didn't want to yeah. vote for more lockdowns, and so he got kicked out. And so well, I. I don't know yeah. what his story is. I he's the fringiest yeah. in this race. He's the Derek Sloan of this race because one of the things he's <laughs> Great one of the things he's running <laughs> against is cancel culture. It's like, okay, this is one of your things and you want to be the prime minister. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. you're not Jordan Peterson, man. Like you gotta like you're not that intellectual guy that can do whatever you want. You're you're Roman Baber who is like an ex, now an ex uh MPP. And uh, I thought well, no, that was he's, just, he's he's still there. He's just an independent. He's still there. Sorry, yeah. X X. Sorry, he'll be an X in a couple of months. Progressive yeah. Conservative ND, uh, MPP, not NDP at all. Uh, <laughs> but in relation to that, I thought it was interesting that uh, Doug Ford came out and said that 
you know, his, the cabinet at least and himself aren't going to, aren't going to root for anybody that is saying now mm-hmm. that they're not going to back anybody. I thought that was very interesting. He's keeping, mm-hmm. I guess, cause he's got his own election to try yeah. and win. That's it. Yeah. June. But I thought, wow, like he's, I guess they asked him for comment on Baber and probably Baber, but also Patrick Brown, who one would assume that he, he hated him at one point. Right. I think he still. I, I think he still does, which is probably also yeah. also generating the path. You know, the the thing with Patrick Brown. I mean, first of all, I found it interesting that before he's even like officially in the race at a Sunday event, pa- Team Polivare has drafted like an attack ad saying like Patrick Brown will do any do and say anything to win, and it's like classic Jenny Byrne who's on Team Polivare. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, it, it, you know, it's just what is it about Patrick Brown that frightens PR Polivare? I don't I, I think it's because they I think Polivare sees himself in Brown, not necessarily politically, but in as of as a type, because here's the thing about Patrick Brown. He graduates college and he decides he's he's 22. He runs for Barry City Council and wins the next year. He runs for the conservatives in the 2004 uh, federal election. He doesn't win, but then he runs again in 2006 and wins. He then spends the next eight years doing nothing. And I like, I'm sure he did constituency work and he cut ribbons and things. Super but, backbench, though. But yeah, like, like not he, just backbench. Yeah. Like. He, he had no ministerial portfolio. He was on, he chaired no committees. He was not a parliamentary assistant. Backbench all the way. Then he decides he's going to run for the leadership of the Ontario PCs. Does it? Thanks to securing votes from the social conservative wing, the people who are pissed off about the sex education revamp quickly forgot about those people as soon as he was leader um, is, is PC leader for three or four years, making the transition to like center right. The, the, the sexual misconduct allegations come out. He's out. He tries to get back in. He's in the race for a week, decides he can't do it. He has no support at all. Then he goes to, try and run for the chair of Peel region. Doug Ford puts the kibosh on that. And so he decides to run for mayor of Brampton where he has never, ever lived. And I've got to think, you know, I just, I was watching that event. I think to myself, if you're someone who lives in Brampton, which is a city of a court, like half a million people, mm-hmm. how do you feel about this guy who never lived in your city, came in, wanted to be mayor. And he only won by like a thousand, like 1200 votes, something yep. like that. But he's mayor. Now he's like using that as a platform to run for, you know, parliamentary federal office again. It's like, well, you know, how, how am I supposed to feel as a Bramptonite? I'm not a Bramptonite. I'm just saying like in this hypothetical, you know, how would you feel about how this guy is like just ditching you? And where, where, where I think Polyver sees common places, Polyver graduates from university, moves to Ontario, starts a conservative like uh, communications business and then runs in Orleans. And that's what he has been doing ever since. So I think like these guys see in each other, two conservative guys who definitely do not have either do not want to get that private sector gig or are afraid they're not talented enough to get that private sector gig. And so they have to hold on to government as hard as they can. Yeah. And if, I think yeah, everyone in the race is a lawyer, ex- officially paper or otherwise, mm. uh, except for Polyev. He's the only one that's career politician, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, that that doesn't work for a lot of people. It does work for some, but 
and in terms of leadership, you do have to have done other things. And the thing with Brown and Brampton is Brampton does have this sort of loyalty thing. Bill mm-hmm. Davis, Mr. Brampton himself <laughs> is still like, can do, you know, much, much loved person there backed Brown. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, that goes a long way, I think in a place specifically like Brampton, whether that translates to Ontario, let alone the rest of the country, who knows, right? Mm. And then, of course, it's Back to the Future with Charé, mm-hmm. uh, who is the most seasoned in the race. Like, that's, you know, undisputable, right? He is, mm-hmm. he's, I'm not sure whether he is yesterday's man in the eyes of, he's going to have to, I keep hearing he needs to sell a lot of memberships. This is all they do, right? They need to sell tons of memberships uh, mm-hmm. to be even in the running, which is what Leslie Lewis did the last time, right? She just sort of rallied those people. <clears throat> you get memberships, you get to vote. Uh, so for somebody who's been out of the picture for a while, mm-hmm. but also, and of course not without controversy too, because right away they brought up the uh, um, Airbus scandal, right? And how, mm-hmm. uh, oh God, is I'm going to, I'm going to drop his name as well. The, <laughs> for 10 points, it was uh, Schreiber, Carl Heinz Schreiber. Right. Carl Heinz Schreiber and the envelopes of money to uh, Brian Mulroney. Uh, you know, Shari was swept up in that. Whether these things matter anymore, there was a time where something like that really mattered. But I think in 2022, you can get away with a hell of a lot more, or at least alleged things, right? So well, we're also a- we're also talking about almost 30 years from the offending incident, which was the the last. Right. Uh, re- referendum. Like it's, it's but, ancient history. Almost. But those are the people that vote, right? Well, so, true. <laughs> and true. they may remember too, that uh, Shrey was the survivor of the, the, uh, the Kim Campbell demolition when the conservatives had two seats, mm-hmm. the entire country, him and uh, again, a 10 pointer, Elsie Wayne, Elsie well, Wayne, that, right? I mean, yeah. And that's the other thing that I find curious about Jean, why Jean Shrey wants to get back in this too. It's like, you know, he was, like one of the last PCs standing and now he wants to go back and lead the federal conservatives when like he, he went to lead the Quebec liberals almost literally because like people were saying to him, like, dude, you are doing nothing as the the leader of the PCs. You have no power, make yourself useful and go to Quebec and lead the liberals, (laughs) which he did for what? Uh, Like a long time, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's in it for a while. So say ten years, then, which is the natural run, and I, I would apply that to the, the current government as well, the current federal government. There is this, there is in Canada this kind of, it's around about ten years where things start to get stale-ish. Yeah, uh, I think they've had a bit of a bump with the uh, what's been going on in Ukraine among yeah. other things. Oh, that's but, that's that's been proven because of a, a Nano's poll showed that there's been a bump. Yeah, but even so, it's you know who it is entirely possible that the person that wins this leadership race, uh, potentially prime minister, I guess we said that about Aaron O'Toole as well. I guess we said that about Sheer. They're just plowing through people. So they really need uh, someone stable in there, whoever the heck that is for them to choose, I suppose, but Mm. (laughs) we'll see. Well, we could use some stability too, which is why we're going to take a break (laughs) right now. You are listening to Open Sources here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio.
That was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records 21 MacDonnell in beautiful downtown Guelph. At least it is these days with the weather changing. This is not a weather report, however. This is a music report. Uh, in honor of the day, that is a band called Lancum. A little bit of uh, Irish Gothic there, as I like to call it. It's my my soul on a Friday night is the sound of that. Uh, and that song is called What Will We Do When We Have No Money? Because mm-hmm. we've filled up on petrol. And uh, <laughs> the album is The Dark Backyard. Check them out. Wow. That's, that's Irish music to me, but uh, no offense, Clan de Gale, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to call them and request something. From, I don't know, we'll just play it. And Adam's like, no. No. <laughs> uh, I'm or from Tchaikovsky to, to like, yeah. Try to yeah. find my place in the notes here after that off kilter diatribe. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so we we haven't had a member of city council on the show in a while, so we uh, put names in a hat and drew one. Uh, <laughs> that's literally almost how we do things. But uh, <laughs> the name we drew was Phil Alt, uh, our old co-host from the ballot box days. He's a city councilor for Ward Three. And we talked to Phil about all kinds of things, uh, getting back to in-person council meetings and uh, all the, the, the reports that uh, the South End Community Center is going to cost much, much more because of inflation and supply chains and all that. And, uh, you know, given that uh, that 20% pay raise everybody is super mm-hmm. mad about for city council, uh, Phil is going to put some cold water on that for you. We're going to talk about all that stuff starting right now so phil alt thanks for hopping on with me today oh thank you for having me uh maybe to begin you were one of six city councillors that uh opted to meet in person at committee of the whole uh i admit and people who may because you've been very public about your your medical history you donated a kidney to your brother Mm -hmm. which makes you uh susceptible to health issues uh maybe a little bit more than the person who has not donated an organ to a relative. Um, can you talk a bit, or do you mind talking a bit about just, you know, your kind of personal safety inventory about uh, meeting in person in the council chambers? Yeah, sure. That's funny. You mentioned the <laughs> organ donation. Um, some people claim I'm heartless, but I didn't <laughs> donate that. Um, I wasn't too bothered about the health and safety issues at all. I'm triple vaccinated. Uh, we do wear masks. We are very well distanced. Um, I would say that my one concern, if there's any, is regardless what building I'm in, I'm always concerned about the air filtration uh, systems. But that having been said, I think that there's a more important issue that needs to be addressed with regards to hybrid meetings. And that is whether they are a reasonable substitution for live meetings or for 100% online meetings. Um, First off, I believe that the meetings that we had over the last two years uh, achieved their purpose, but their purpose was relatively limited. Mm. We were providing counsel to staff during the time of a pandemic if we are to really get into significant and uh, and uh, questions that require uh, deep analysis, uh, 
I believe it's important for us to have everybody present in the same chamber. Um, just like you and I are talking here, I do believe that there is a qualitative difference in dialogue and engagement as soon as we are in a separate location. So, you know, if there's a hierarchy of communications, uh, the best communications is face to face. I could settle for a, a video or a telephone talk uh, if it's between two of us. I would be less happy with a group of us on that. The hybrid, I think, actually is in some senses biased toward people in the room. Mm. Although you might have a different point of view because you were there and you've probably looked at the video feed. And I think if anybody was watching, uh, they might feel that there was a bias toward those who were not present just because there was no uh, direct facial connection with people within the uh, the council chambers and all of that's irrespective of uh, of the decisions that we're making um, I'll just get back to Marshall McLuhan and Harold Innes that there is a bias in communications and in some senses the medium really is the message we are very limited um, in our in engagement with counselors and I think we lose lose something by that having happened I was keeping one eye on the video feed and it is it is interesting to hear you mention that because in if you're watching it online it is you get that static back of the room shot that we that was you know pre-pandemic when you watch the the city's live stream of council meetings that static shot from the very back of the council chambers meanwhile at the side you have the nice portraits of the, the counselors who are meeting remotely and yeah I, I you could almost see that there's kind of like an imbalance there and I wonder at this committee of the whole meeting all the chairs were in the chambers um, I mean what's that going to be like when the chair is someone like Councillor O'Rourke who uh, you know was meeting remotely this I don't know what her plans are but the you know when the chair is outside the council chambers and and how that will affect debate then well, I, I think I think it does. I, I think that there is a potential for two tiers of counselors. And the other thing is, I did ask the clerk um, how we were going to go about this, because um, for those that aren't familiar, not all meetings are equal. Some are more equal than others. We have planning meetings. We have committee of the whole meetings and we have council meetings. The council meeting at the end of the month is the summation meeting. The other two uh, our precludes to that uh, with the planning meeting, in my mind, I think actually being the most important meeting of a council. So for this meeting, the committee of the whole, I'm out of, I was in the chamber. For the planning meeting, I'm out of the chambers and someone else will replace me. And I believe for the council meeting, I will be back in the chambers. I said to the clerk, wouldn't it make more sense for it to be month by month so that there's an equity across meetings, mm. not across counselors? Mm -hmm. That strikes me as a as a healthier approach to something that I think is an interim solution, but is not best practice. Yeah, th I mean, that's a good point. So much about governance is based on precedent and there's nothing there's no precedent for any of this. We're, we're, no. This, is, this is really we're, government by experimentation. 
Yeah, and and to the credit of staff, uh, they're doing the best they can. Yeah, we we don't have any examples, and uh, if it's like herding chickens normally, this is like herding chickens with half of us outside the coop, <laughs> or in a, in a in a sequestered coop on the other side of town. Uh, yeah, let's. I, I do want to dig into some issues too. Uh, probably the big one this week was. Uh, the news that the South End Community Center is going to be 50% higher in budget or is looking to be 50% higher in budget. I mean, that has sparked a lot of conversations about the cost of infrastructure. Um, can you talk a little bit, because this isn't kind of the first time this has come up. Uh, people may remember <clears throat> Speedfield Bridge was supposed to get started this year, but the tenders came in way over budget because of inflationary pressures. So, I mean, is this going to be something commonplace we're going to see with these sort of city construction projects that they're going to cost more not not necessarily because of any governance issues just because everything's costing more now well yes i do and i think that we need to examine uh how we we do our tendering as well um just because i i do um (laughs) rely on uh uh, you know, stores like uh, Rona and Home Hardware and so on. I'm very familiar with the impact of, uh, of the pandemic on supply chain and on building materials. Uh, it's gone right through the roof. And if it's gone right through the roof for the, the home handy guy, for large um, projects that are subject to tender, whether they're for government or for the private sector, we are equally going to be under the gun on that. And I'm, I'm afraid that when it comes to city building, we're going to have to address whether we need to change our assumptions, uh, maybe add in a, a percentage uh, because it's a whole new normal. And, and the Ukrainian war is going to prolong this. Uh, our supply chains are severely hampered. And that's that's going to be a concern for any project, whether it's a street or whether it's a South End Rec Center. And I do support the South End Rec Center um, as I do anything that is positive from a city building perspective. And I think it's absolutely imperative that if we want to have a good quality city, we recognize that recreation centers uh, and facilities that are located conveniently for people and that are of an appropriate size and caliber are necessary to construct and to um, uh, to to uh, rehabilitate when they when they become too old. Uh, we we need to be very very careful too. Um, if we are to examine uh, what the this project is or what any project is, we need to be careful to not put off today because we believe we can't afford it because tomorrow we can't afford it even more. Uh, There is no potential predictability on anything related to tendering coming down, except that I can tell you that uh, uh, history shows me that um, when things become inflated, you don't suddenly see a reversal. Right. So keeping that in mind, uh, you know, Mayor Guthrie was pretty in front of that report um and it seems like and maybe you can confirm or deny from from your point of view that we're kind of being walked to maybe uh a reconsideration or a pause in certain 
shall we say, large scale city projects. Uh, can you speak to that? From my perspective, I'm not in favor of that. Uh, I believe that we have to examine how we actually implement our uh, our projects in an effective fashion. Um, I, I think we need to not just explore that, but we need to explore refinancing in a fashion that is um, affordable. I mean, there's, there's tremendous pressure being put on Guelph right now, and it's not as a consequence of uh, building projects. It's a consequence of inflated housing prices, and uh, this should be something that should be of more of a concern to people than the cost of a building project. Um, people are buying million, million and a half dollar houses in Guelph right now. And there's an expectation of a particular quality of life and of services that we provide. So uh, uh, I'm not thinking that we can do this uh, without it being at the peril of the, of the city and the livability of the city. I think we need to move forward with projects that improve the quality of life. Sure. And I think people intellectually get that, but, you know, people look at their bank statements or their, mm. you know, their tax bill. Um, the city can't control how much a house sells for in Guelph, but it can control how much money it's spending on building new facilities or, um, you know, new projects or new programs. You know, it, it's, it's another kind of window into just how kind of limiting the powers of city council are um and you know people people aren't necessarily thinking about we have to keep up with the demand for services they're thinking about oh my god look at my tax bill it's so much bigger than last yeah week. yeah and and interestingly enough I, you know I, I get where you're coming from on this and I, I want to characterize it differently and i want to characterize it from the context of the full tax package um now a person that is earning about a hundred thousand dollars a year is paying just approximately just under 50 percent of their income in taxes so that's just under fifty thousand dollars my property tax bill is about five thousand dollars i received my old sorry adam my old age and my cpp statements just yesterday for last year and on ten thousand dollars i paid uh four thousand dollars in taxes on those two uh, particular uh, uh, stipends. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be really blunt. Property mm. taxes are in some senses quite a deal. Uh, and that does not really uh, get to my problem with property taxes, which is something else. They're unfair in right. a lot of ways. They're inequitable. Um, property taxes where you are paying approximately $5,000 for your city services, which are the most immediate services that you ever uh, find benefit from, um, relative to your provincial and your federal taxes, uh, is not that great. But property taxes are the only tax that you can query. You have no control over your federal or your provincial taxes or your GST or your petroleum taxes, which amount to probably more than a combined 50% of your total income. So we look at that approximate, um, well, maybe 10% of your income, we'll say. Uh, that's probably way lower than that, actually, for the average person. Um, and we, we look to um, examine the... Um, the value of that 
And I think that we forget that a recreation center, roads, clean water, power, collecting dog, dog poop, parks, <laughs> um, snow removal, all of the services that are directly experienced by the taxpayer are delivered for a pittance relative to your federal and provincial taxes, your HST, your petroleum taxes. Mm. Um, I mean, crikey, if you look at your petroleum taxes, I think that they're approximately, it's either 10 or 15, 10 to 20% of the actual cost of the gasoline that you burn in your car. Now, because I'm going to wander on about this for a bit. <laughs> the problem with property taxes is the inequity of them. Right. They're not based on anything that is anywhere close to fair. And that becomes even less fair as people age and are on limited or restricted incomes. The property tax system needs to be reformed. And because the only authority that a city council has is the authority that is delegated by the province, it's the province's responsibility to do that. We should be looking at a different form of taxation. We should be looking at alternatives to taxation. And, you know, the one that I will raise is if we're going to have roads that uh, essentially are there for the purposes of propelling gas-powered uh, vehicles down the road, why do cities not have the, uh, the right to tax petroleum products? Mm. Strikes me as we probably should. Are there other tax... Um, envelopes that we might want to look at is the province essentially being unfair to us because they take the money and they don't want to deal with things so they download services to us and we have more and more services downloaded including the court system uh, including uh, responsibility for affordable housing uh, certain health care services uh, I'm not going to say that the problem is not the city's but I'll tell you, the problem is the provinces to solve, and we conveniently forget that. Right. That seems like a good segue to ask you about this. Um, a lot of people saw the, uh, the past uh, pay increase uh, for city mm -hmm. councillors at the last meeting. Yep. A lot of people, and I'll ask the question bluntly, um, are you doing 20% more work as a city councillor now that... Uh, you know, perhaps justifies that pay bump in your estimation. I would say that I am doing a lot of work as a city councilor. I wouldn't say 20% more. I think a better frame is to ask if city staff is being paid at the 55th percentile or a, a an equivalent percentile, why is it that councilors would not be paid at the same proportion? I'm going to pose it to you a different way. Mm. I decided just for fun to take what I consider to be probably a, um, uh, a very conservative tax base of 25,000 taxpayers in Guelph. Mm -hmm. And then look at the total uh, budget for council salaries, including the mayor's salary, which I did not support because uh, it, that was not part of the recommendation from four years ago and even now. That total envelope comes to approximately, if I am correct, 0.5% of the city's budget. Or to put it another way, when I did the math, and if I am correct, and I think I am, just over $5 per 
property taxpayer in Guelph per year. The question that I'll pose to people is, what do they believe people responsible for a $400 million budget should be paid? The people that are looking after my RRSPs or somebody else's RRSPs or an investment portfolio are regularly receiving bonuses in the millions of dollars. And yet we're concerned about people uh, earning uh, in the 55th percentile or $51,000 a year for 25 to 35 hours a week uh, work. Uh, that strikes me as really odd. Mm. If you want people to be willing to take on the legal and, and the emotional responsibility for a $400 million budget, the question I got to pose is, what do you want to pay them? <laughs> Now, what is it that you really think that those people are worth? Um, that, that to me is a fairly important question. And I'm not going to say the best and the brightest. I think anybody can and should be a counselor. The, there's, there's another issue, however, and, and that, again, I'll throw it back to the provinces. I think it's, it's, it's really, in some sense, it's not appropriate for city councils to be stuck with this. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, provincial and federal governments are as well. I will give a lot of credit to the, uh, the Citizens Committee, which was a, um, um, a committee of residents who made the determination, not city council. Where I think we make a problem is that we should have within our, um, our, um, our authority the right to either accept the recommendation or to reject it, but not amend it. Right. Because as soon as we amend it, we've taken that authority away from a group of residents who have absolutely no um, uh, vested interest in this at all. And we turn it over to some councillors who might or might not have a vested interest based on whether they plan to run and if they get reelected. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the entire ward boundary and council remuneration review process seemed to hit that wall between, yeah. you know, taking the recommendation or amending the recommendation. And, and more often than not, it seemed like council knew the answers they wanted the whole time. Well, I would, I would say that, that, you know, you're, you're not wrong in terms of the speculation on that. I think that there is a certain amount of, shall we say, enlightened self-interest that does take place. Interestingly enough, if we'd reduced the size of council and gone to full-time and I can't say whether I'd run or not, but if I were to run in this ward with eight councillors, it would have been to my advantage in so many ways. Um, I believe that the 12 councillors is actually better for the city. And, um, and I believe it for one simple reason. I don't believe you get better democracy and better citizen um, government engagement by reducing the number of members. I don't think we saw that with Mike Harris when he reduced the number of uh, MPPs in Ontario because he just didn't like too many people in in authority. Uh, I think that we have come to expect that councillors should be available to residents and that there should be a modicum of community accessibility. while people see counselors at meetings, probably what they do forget is things like this. I consider this part of my work. This yeah. is part of community engagement. And when I start adding it up, and if you ask my wife, if she starts adding it up, <laughs> it's a lot of time. 
I do work six days a week. I work when I'm on holiday, whether I'm in, you know, uh, at Lake Kuchiching or the Alora campground, or I'm out of country. I'm still working. I don't take the time off. I modify my expectations of what I'm going to do. Mm. Well, you kind of walked right up to that with enlightened self-interest. So I'll just ask the question. Uh, are you planning on running again? I don't know. I'm getting a lot of pressure to run. I'll tell you that. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, my, my, my wife has said to me, you know, things like, well, if you do run, I'll, um, uh, we'll visit occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I don't know. I had a lovely talk with former counselor, Carl Wettstein about um, uh, his days on council and uh, what he's done after council and how um, he's decompressing slowly. Uh, I like council. In fact, I love council. Um, I uh, believe that uh, the, the value in council is being able to interact with the community and being able to provide service to people. Uh, and uh, the meetings, the meetings, that's another issue altogether, but to be able to engage with people and for people to be able to know that you'll get back to them um, and get back to them quickly is important. Uh, I have no problem with that at all. It's uh, it's something that uh, is worthwhile. Just on the issue of full and part-time counselors, though, mm-hmm. I think if we went to full-time counselors, we could accomplish that very well. But full-time counselors also need to be given a portfolio. And where we erred was we set up a dichotomy between part and full-time counselors, whereas we should be looking at an evolution of full-time counselors where responsibility for portfolios such as transportation, housing, uh, what have you, taxation, et cetera, are Mm. part of the job description. Counselors Mm. don't have a job description, Mm -hmm. and, and that's a problem. Hmm. Well, you just opened a whole kettle of fish, but we're out of time. So, uh, Phil, we'll just thank you for your uh, engagement this week, and we will talk to you again. <laughs> thank you, Adam. Best to Scotty if you ever see him. <laughs> so that was once again Phil Alt, as you heard. He did not answer the question, so I don't know if we get one of these. <laughs> so it's you need to blend them together. <laughs> yeah, it's what? it's I, I I couldn't like there's no appropriate sound effect for I don't know yet. It's uh, makes 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 my life programming this thing so much harder. <laughs> <laughs> We appreciate well, we'll find out soon enough, I suppose. Right? <laughs> Nominations open May second. So Ooh, there you creeping go. ever closer. Creeping indeed. And that is it for this week's show. Hopefully not creepy. Yeah. <laughs> we hope you liked it. You can stay connected to us at our website at opensourcesguelph.com. You can find us on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire and on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If you'd like to listen to this show again, you can download it from our website every Monday from the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at GuelphPolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for all things CFRU, particularly when shows are on, part of our fantastic selection here, check out CFRU.ca slash shows. Mm-hmm. 
And stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Thursday at 5 p.m. for more Ukraine News Hour, or should I just say open sources? And we will see you then.